Welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. This week is a first for the podcast. We're joined by two guests at the same time. It's madness. Daniel Bailey and Rupert Svensden Cook are the founders of Veloce Esports and now Veloce Racing as they embark into the world of Extreme E. Their story in their words. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like it, please do leave us a review. It really helps us to get bigger. Enjoy. Welcome to the latest episode of our Gearing Up series, where we take a departure from the likes of Coulthard, Crofty and Connor Daly and shine a light on those who might be slightly more behind the scenes, but making no less of an impact on the sport. However, before I introduce today's guests, yes, plural, I need to head to Essex, where the average house price in Brentwood is £513,000, according to Essex Live News. So my esteemed co-host clearly has wealthy neighbours who are all well above the national average. However, we're not here to talk about property boom Britain. We're here to bring in not one, but two special guests. But first, let's hear from my much taller and hairier host, Harry Benjamin. How are you? Thank you very much. They're almost compliments, but yeah, they don't feel like it. Uh, (laughs) I think I need to become better friends with my neighbours if they're that rich. Um, I am very well, thank you. Timothy, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, Where are we? In the shed. In the shed, third third podcast of the day. Um, don't, ru- don't ruin the illusion. It, the, the illusion was shattered on the second one when, when yeah, we said the true. same thing. But it, but I'm good. I'm, I'm excited about this one because we're, we're trying something new. So mm. shall I shall I dive straight in and introduce today's guests? Yeah, let's do it. So ladies and gents, this is a first for us here at Motormouth. Historically, we've interviewed just one person at a time, but today we have two. Daniel Bailey and Rupert Svensson Cook are co-founders of Veloce Esports, which has merged with Veloce Racing to encompass its diversification into real-world racing. Daniel is Chief Commercial Officer, Rupert Business Director, and they've been at the very centre of Veloce's rise in esports and electric vehicles. They work alongside the likes of Adrian Newey, OBE, and Jean-Eric Verne, who are among the impressive list of names involved in the business. Let's dive deep into Veloce. Daniel Rupert, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Hi, guys. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. Um, Question to both of you, first of all. Maybe, Rupert, if you want to start with this one. Let's take it back to life before Veloce. What what were you both doing before? A bit about your backgrounds first, before it all came about. Sure, yeah. Thanks for for having us on. Um, Actually, our roots are firmly in motorsport. I mean, Dan's family and and, and his brother, Jack, who's one of the other co-founders, is also... um, Firmly, firmly rooted in motorsport, but uh, yeah, I mean, my, my background used to be a. I was a racing driver. Um, you know, did the normal thing. You know, karting from the, the age of eight. Bankrupted my parents by the time I was fifteen, <laughs> and then um, a miracle happened that my dad happened to sell a car. My dad worked in a local Jaguar dealership, and he happened to sell a car to a gentleman who who had an interest in the sport. I happened to know a very wealthy man who who. Uh, changed my life to be honest and plucked me out of um, sort of already I'd stopped karting and, and, and put me into Formula BMW and took me on a, a, a fantastic journey in, into, into into motorsport and came through the ranks came as far as British Formula 3 um, built uh, you know a lot of relationships and, and, and great friendships there um, as well as having a lot of success and, and winning races and the rest of it but um 
Yeah, I, I stopped racing in 2012 when my backing stopped. And from there is when I sort of very quickly entered uh, into the world of the business of, of, of motorsport. Yeah, it's, it's a tough, tough game to, to keep going after that Formula 3 level, isn't it? It suddenly becomes a hugely expensive sport. Um, Daniel, what about you? What, what were you doing before, uh, before Veloce? I tried, well, I tried my hardest to get out of motorsport for about five minutes, but it didn't really last too long. I was, my dad, Julian Bailey, was in Formula One briefly in 88 and 91 and sports cars. Um, my mum's side of the family had, you know, was working in the PR sort of side and um, uncle Stephen T founded LAT, the photography business in oh, wow. And then, um, Gilles de Ferran, who's my second cousin, is obviously a bit of an indie car legend. Wow. Racing. And I went to university and did Spanish and economics and had every intention of going to work in the city. Worked for a VC firm as an analyst for about five weeks before I realized that, you know, life's pretty boring when there's not paddocks to be in and races to be at. So went and cut my teeth at IMG, working on the commercial side of the motorsport division there. And, uh, Sort of, I'd been, I'd known Rupert from him working with my brother, uh, Jack Clark, um, half, half brother. And then after that, sort of um, got involved in the commercial side of the sport with MPA Commercial uh, and sort of brokering deals in Formula One to Formula E to British Touring Cars. And then as we'll go into sort of Rupert, my Jacks are sort of stars aligned and uh, Veloce sort of took off. Jack and Rupert were already working on Veloce from a driver management point of view, and then it already started the esports business, and then we combined on the extreme e business, and then merged it all to create the Veloce behemoth that we know today. Yeah, well, that we want yeah. to. But no, it's been a, it's been a kind of, was always going to end up back in this industry because it's, it's, it's an industry which I know and love. So yeah, and it's hard, it's hard to escape the world of motorsports, really, isn't it? And it, well, it's great that you both have such. Uh, different backgrounds but together that obviously has created quite a, a successful business along with your other founders so let's talk a bit about um what veloce is and, and where the idea came from in the first place sure i mean oh, jack who's not uh who's not here really sort of the, the three of us uh and jamie is one of the other founders but we are um we, we when i stopped racing and, and we went into driver management I was sort of running around as a one-man band. I mean, I'd been in India um, as a test driver with MRF, who oh, yeah. this winter series MRF Challenge, and I sort of I was all this young Indian racing talent, super talented, well-funded to be fair, and um, you know, they re- at the time recently just built into a Formula One circuit, they had an appetite for Formula One, and I was like, I'm going to start a bit of an academy here and bring the talent across to, to Europe. And we know, you know, you want to be a movie star, you go to Hollywood. You know, if you want to be a racing driver, you come to the UK. And so I was bringing the, 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 generally all of them were Indian racing drivers to the UK. You're not doing everything. It was a non-stop. I mean, from from the the schools to to the contracts with the teams, to the accommodation, to the, literally and everything in, in between. Basically, driver coaching and the management, the the, the sponsors and Oh, the insurance, everything. But it was great because I had an end-to-end education on the sport. But um, coming back from Spa one day, we've been doing something out there with, with one of our drivers. Jack was on his way back from um, from also doing something in Spa. And uh, he's with, he was with his now wife at the time. Anyway, we, by absolute coincidence, pulled up together uh, behind each other in, in the Eurotunnel coming back to the UK. And I was running around thinking, how can I scale this business? You know, it's brilliant. It's great cash today, but I need to scale. I need to grow more. And, and I need to work with people with more of the mindset like myself. And anyway, me and Jack 
guy at the car had a chat in the Eurotunnel. By the time we came off, we were, we were in business together. You know? So, um, and it's sort of the business then rolled. We got to a stable of about 10 drivers. And then it was the same situation again. Every time we get signed the 11th driver, we'd lose one off the bottom, really. You know, we, we couldn't, again, couldn't be in 10 different countries, 10 different racetracks every weekend. And so, and really the drivers, whether it was the driver, the talent, the, the, the sponsor, their family, whoever, they're buying into us. And, and, and as much as we try to get other people on board to sort of replicate what we did, again, couldn't scale. And, and the, the Friday night beers for me and Jack were, how do we scale this? You know, like we, we can't, it's sat in the pub, again, this is for cash, but we've got to scale more. Like we need to, we want, we want to make money when we sleep, when we, when we sleep. So um, it was at the back end of 2017 when... Um, Formula One at the time were just dipping their toe in, in esports um, and did sort of a one-off event in Abu Dhabi with um, with all of the teams taking part. And we saw, uh, well, actually, it was at this point that Jamie came along, Jamie McLaurin, who, who's one of the other co-founders, he's next football agent, but avid, avid gamer, came to me and Jack and said, you guys have... Like you're in a really good sweet spot here. Racing, as far as an e- as an esports proposition goes, like hasn't really scratched the surface. Formula One are really late to the party. You guys have been the, sort of the infrastructure and everything we had here in in London was sort of well placed to sort of we had a simulator, we had bits and pieces, and we were well placed to sort of enter the market. Um, you guys should have it, give it a crack, and like, would you could we do it together? So it was at that point that he joined Veloce. We created Veloce Esports Limited, and watching and after seeing this one-off Formula One event in Abu Dhabi where we noticed that on, on the Monday after the first F1 esports event, Formula One uploaded a highlights clip of the esports event on their YouTube channel, but also a highlights clip of um, the real Formula One race. And obviously Formula One had massively leveled up. I mean, this was under new Liberty ownership at the time and, you know, they were, they were just getting going on things like YouTube. I mean, now they fly on, on, on such platforms. But... Um, we noticed that esports, the viewership on the esports race was more than the real race. And so we just, you know, with a really, really one-dimensional hat on at the time, because with the hat that we'd had in the real world, just went around signing all of these gamers who had taken part in this event because nobody had them, nobody had the rights, no one was looking after the best interests of their careers, nobody was giving them guidance and support and, you know, the, the, proper, the proper guidance. And... Um, we just basically took all the top talent. Then we went to Gran Turismo, to Project Cars, to Forza, to all the other titles and platforms. And um, we just kept doing the same thing. And then very quick, honestly, I think at the time, we thought, great, we'll sign them all now. I don't know what we were thinking because there was no business to it. You know, we, we, we were thinking next year, Mercedes is going to enter F1 Esports. Toto Wolf's going to give us a call and be like, we want your driver. Um, but the phone didn't ring, to be honest. You know, we were all the money that we weren't worth putting into, in, you know, all the money that we didn't didn't have from the real world business of Roche Sports at the time, we were sticking into esports and we hadn't worked that how we we're going to make any money out of it. Did, did, you, ha- did you have the drivers? So you, you signed some drivers. Did, did you have any of them going like, okay, well, Rupert, you've signed this. Look, what now? Like, you know, we're rep- you're representing us, but what, <laughs> yeah, what's happening? Time. It sort of... We, <laughs> They're still asking the same question. Yeah, Yeah, we were quite... um, It wasn't long before the penny dropped, to be honest. You know, like we... And already, I mean, considering that 
from where a lot of these gamers were coming from, we were already offering a really attractive proposition. We were giving them more structure to their careers and they were coming here and using assimilators, preparing, and, and they were already seeing benefits of being a part of the blockchain. And we sort of very, we sort of had our own team, blockchain team at, at that point. Yeah. Um, and then we realized, I mean, people at the time, everyone talking esports, viewership, reach, engagement, there's so much viewership in esports and, you know, but honestly, like, we weren't seeing it. You know, the, the actual F1 esports events themselves, viewership wasn't actually groundbreaking in the world of esports. Um, and all of the thoughts and all of the titles, it was great. But like, what? who really had the eyes and ears of the audience and where was the real viewership? And the answer was in, when we call them YouTubers, broadcasters, content creators, call them what you like. But it was these... Formula One specific, Forza specific, or, or, or you know, platform gaming or racing game specific um, YouTubers. And then we were like, okay, who's representing and looking after these guys? Because they have an audience of millions and they're, they're a really engaged community and, and, and fan base. So it was at that point that we, we, we then started signing these guys and bringing these guys alongside our talent. So, I mean, we had credibility of having the best games in the world now we had the visibility of having the biggest and the best youtubers and content creators and then you had a we had a model you know that, that's a commercially viable product we'll win the races but we'll also get all the eyeballs and then with eyeballs comes an audience of which you can monetize and commercialize and that that was how yeah sort of it all started rolling and, and i suppose for you um a, a real tipping point would would come in the form of uh, uh, terrible to say it but a global pandemic um, with, um, you know, everyone stuck in their homes, no real world racing. All of a sudden, the likes of Veloce are in a, a, a strong position, as, as sort of awful as that sounds, um, you know, in the midst of a, a pandemic. But it must have done your business a world of good. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, we, we started Veloce Sports, we kicked it off about three years ago. Um, and obviously, we'd had good growth. We were already, you know, running and operating on about 40 to 50 million views a month on our network. We are running and operating teams for Fernando Alonso, Alfa Romeo and the rest of it. But when the pandemic hit, honestly, I mean, our, our viewership now is still at triple what it was pre, pre-lockdown. Yeah. Um, we, we secured new business with um, the Abu Dhabi government with, with um, an esports team proposition out there. We obviously signed McLaren, have some really big names in Formula One that we're also building up with now. And it's sort of, we, it, 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 the spotlight, I mean, the viewership on our network last month, I think was up more than 120 million views. We're just, it's fast tracked by years. Quite, to put a, a real yardstick on it's difficult, but yeah, in a perverse way, it did us a massive favor. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It really did. And it kind of, um, it, it also brought attention from, you know, our investors, especially the, the businesses which we've gone into with at this point, Veloce Racing and Veloce Esports were separate before before the merger. But esports was, you know, seen from what Rupert was saying there. One of the, the most important side of Veloce Esports is that it's almost like a it's like a Sky, but for esports content. One of mm-hmm. the digital broadcasters is Sky One, the other one is Sky Sports Two, whatever it is. You know, it's like that um, to sort of bring it into sort of a TV model, which is not. And it, you know, that way of consuming content became more prominent based on COVID. And also marketeers sort of started to take esports more seriously and understand that there's a huge audience there. And then with our kind of other operations in Extreme E, which is probably the only COVID-proof sport in the world because there's no live attendance. Yeah. Um, and all the sort of, you know, which we can go into, all the sort of future messaging and everything around Extreme E, the investors were like, God, across this esports and Extreme E business, we've got, you know, the most disruptive and innovative sectors 
with, you know, we're a rights holder in one, we're a media business in the other. Um, and I sort of think about it as like we've ended up being like a, a mini sort of innovative IMG where we've got rights in Extreme E in a franchise. We've got a media business, which is pumping out to hundreds of millions of views a month. And, you know, we represent some really exciting athletes like Jamie Chadwick, um, you know, those sort of sectors to where the sort of Veloce business has grown. So um, definitely COVID brought that attention to sort of the people who backed us from the start um, and sort of shed light on, on all those kind of synergies. It's incredible the the traction you've had and you know the the almost almost dominance in a way. It's 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 quite you know it goes to show how hard you must have worked to make all of these different aspects work. And just to pick up what you said there, Rupert, about the merging. Obviously, we mentioned Extreme E and and merging of sort of the esports world with the real racing world. How when did the idea for that come about, and and how how easy was that to do? Um, it, it came in the middle of lockdown. I mean, we obviously. We decided uh, to, to enter Extreme E and, and to have a go at, at raising the cash and, and having a crack at securing a franchise again about two years ago in the, in the paddock in Monza. It was me, Jack, and uh, Dan and John Eric Verne sat around a table in McLaren Motorhome at the Italian Grand Prix, I remember. But um, yeah, we, 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 we always sort of we called it Veloce because we'll enter an Extreme E as Veloce, but really the you know the key management shareholders were were, were the same, but uh, the they remained separate entities. And as Extreme E was getting closer and closer to launch and, and, and kicking off next year, and as it sort of starts to get a bit more real for us beyond just a concept, um, and with these, you know, we were starting to get a little bit conflicted at times. Where hang on, which business card am I handing over today? You know, the esports one, the virtual racing one, and. Um, in the middle of lockdown, we were in the middle of a, just before lockdown kicked off, East, but from a Vlachi Esports point of view, we were in the, just commenced a big, a big fundraise. Um, and it, to be honest, like, you know, had taken on already quite an ambitious, um, you know, sort of a growth strategy, if you want to call it that. And so we needed to raise cash and we, we needed to, you know, to continue this, this rate of growth and, and, and the trajectory that we were on. And it just made so much sense in the middle of lockdown when we sort of sat there really sort of with, with uh, having worked remotely for so long, to be honest, I was in the office but because I live nearby, but it would, everyone was, we were thinking, how do we, we've got to pull this together, we've got to harness it and leverage one off against the other. And, it, and in the middle of lockdown, it made a lot of sense, you know, and obviously as propositions, they, um, you know, one, we could, it's, it's amazing to have an, an extreme e-team that ticks so many boxes for, for all the right reasons, um, and they have an audience of, you know, seventeen majority seventeen to twenty four year olds in the millions who, it's a, who will watch consume the content. It's it's an amazing series, um, or it's going to be an amazing series, Extreme E. And I I read um, I think it was in the FT when it was talking about your your recent investment, which we'll come on to. But we, there was a quote that you called it. It's like Blue Planet crossed with the America's Cup crossed with the Dakar Rally, which I think is a great description <laughs> of it. But for those who are not familiar yet with Extreme E, can um, can you guys just give us a a brief uh, synopsis of what it's all about extreme uh, electric SUVs and I was I was on Radio 5 Live last week and some guys sort of said that's not an SUV I said no you're right it's the Batmobile meets a monster truck um, electric 550 horsepower SUVs in inverted commas um, racing in some of the world's most extreme locations so um, the Amazon in, um, in the Arabian deserts in Kangalusak in Greenland just in front of the Russell Glacier 
uh, and a few other locations to bring, you know, for sort of some key reasons, uh, which is one, it's about shedding light on environmental awareness, on sort of using Extremely as a platform to drive awareness around these areas and how they're, they're struggling with climate change. I mean, just saw yesterday another massive piece broke off the Arctic shelf in Greenland. Um, electrification using these, you know, the 1,650 kg SUVs powered off batteries racing at speeds of over 200 kph on 15k tracks. So they're like big rally cross tracks, um, but with no you know, curbs or anything like that. And it's going to be all virtual sort of cornering and everything. So there's a minimum impact on the environment. Uh, and those batteries which are powering that could be used to power a house for 16 days of for 16 days of normal household consumption. So the technology is incredible. Wow, amazing. And then also using it as a kind of conduit to shining light on the problems with the quality in our sport and giving male and female drivers equal time in the car, having to compete together. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in a sort of a cheesy way, it can be broke down into those three E's of environmental electrification and equality. Uh, and providing a media product which kind of transcends in, in dress because I think you're going to have motorsport fans keen on this because it's you know, big, mega-looking cars racing head-to-head in epic locations um, so you're going to get your racing fans. You kind of, and that, that will transcend. I think your Formula One to your Formula E fan because it's it's not you know it's motorsport as purist because there's going to be no power saving. It's going to be bang twenty minute races, full juice. Um, but then you're going to have your environmental fans who are interested. You know, it's going around the world on a ship, the RMS yeah. and Helena, which is being you know being made as economic sorry as environmentally friendly as possible. To you know, so there's going to be no air freight. You know, we're going to be uh, and the whole series will be carbon neutral from season one. Um, to the point where it's actually carbon positive or, you know, whatever the, the, the yeah. sort of positive version of carbon um, neutral is because we're going to be planting trees in the Amazon after we race there and we're going to be planting a million mangroves in the uh, Dakar um, Senegalese beaches after we race there and we're going to be working with local communities in Greenland to become more self-sufficient on hydroelectric power so it can be completely, so the whole area can be completely renewable. So we leave legacy projects to make the environment better which means you'll get your environmentalists and there's going to be documentaries made by National Geographic. IMAX are making incredibly powerful educational films to go with it. It really transcends sort of a media model which has never been seen before in our sport. Um, and for all those factors, we were just like, this, I mean, Alejandro has done it again, hasn't he? He's yeah. just spotted all the trends. He's a clever sausage, that one. Uh, he is. It's, he uh, is. It's, it's an incredible series. And of course, you'll be going up against a big name. So you've got a Mr. Hamilton to compete against there from a team boss perspective. Um, must be weird seeing yourself entering a team and going up against what who is soon to be the greatest Formula One driver that has ever lived. I mean, yeah, it's, it's wicked. I was, I, was, I was saying to Rupert, uh, and Jack, the sort of day after that was announced, sort of quite looking forward to the end of season season awards, where it's like, yeah, cheers, good year, Lewis. Um, but like, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be mega. I mean, it's what's really exciting about it is seasons one and two. There's some of it's quite unknown. Um, you know, it's like Formula E, and like the race of development that you have in Formula One isn't going to be prevalent in, in Extreme. It's more about cost control and the kind of messaging of the series. So. 
everyone's got a fighting chance. So if we can do a job on X44 racing in season one, it'll be all right, though. Yeah, but, um, we're behind yeah, we're... you. We, we've got you. I, I can see I can see success in the tea leaves. Um, now, you, you've got some, we mentioned at the beginning of the uh, the show, you, you've got some other people involved in the business um, in the form of Jean-Eric Verne and, uh, and of course, Adrian Newey. What, what's the relationship with them? How do they fit into the business? Sure. I mean, Jeff... He's a long-time friend. Back to my racing days, actually, we were teammates in Formula 3, and so sort of a friendship that, that had grown out of out of being teammates. And um, we always, we kept that friendship and, and, and always stayed in touch. And, you know, Jeff, Jeff is involved in, in the esports business. You know, he's a bit of a maverick in that respect. You know, he's, when we, we jumped into esports, he wanted to be involved in that with us. And um, it's been he really loves to be at the forefront of something fresh. I mean, he's been in Formula E for, since the beginning, bar one race, I think. You know, he's never missed a race since. So, um, you know, he's obviously very close with Alejandro and, and uh, the, the key guys from Streamy. And, you know, we, we're really ambitious to what we can achieve together. And Adrian Newey, that was a... Um, honestly, it was a, it was a curveball we didn't really see coming. It was funny. I was out in, in India uh, again three years ago, two years ago with Harrison, no, two years ago with Harrison knew his son. Yep. Um, and we were, we were just talking about renewable energy and, and, and sustainable motorsport and where we're going to go with it and what we're going to do. And um, we sort of sat on top of this sort of very rickety uh, Marshall's post. And um, I said, oh, I tell you what, I really like look off this extreme mean. Like we're having a go at raising a, raising the cash to, to secure a franchise in that. I think it'd be awesome. I said, that's the sort of thing you would love. He said, I'd love to get involved. Yeah, I'd love that. He said, my dad would love that as well. You know? And I was like, really? And I was like, you know what? I'll send you the stuff. And anyway, and anyway we, we, we started talking about it. And I've known Harry for years. We're really good friends. And yeah, just sort of one thing rolled to the next and, and sort of made the proposition to, to Adrian if he'd be prepared to come on board as sort of lead visionary for our project and guide us on what we're doing. Obviously, he has incredible experience. And amazingly, he's never, never worked with anything off-road ever. Um, you know, and his ambition and, 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 you know, what he sees in the future is he really doesn't believe that batteries are the answer, to be honest. He, he believes that hydrogen is. And um, where with, with what Extreme E is doing, you know, with, with the remote um, hydrogen off-grid fuel cells to recharge the cars and eventually, you know, to continue to, to, to research and get towards a, you know, a cleaner uh, and, a, and a better um powertrain solution and, and, and power solution for the cars beyond batteries. You know, it was something you really want to get his teeth stuck into. And obviously Harry is a great friend and, and uh, very switched on as well. You know, he's come on, on board with it. So, yeah, that's that's how that, that all, all came together. Now, as well as capturing probably the entire motorsport world and achieving all you've done so far, you've also just received is there a four million pound uh, injection of funds investment? What congratulations, first of all, and what is that going to do for you going forward? Well, we're gonna we've got a great fund for an end of season party, which is always yeah. Oh yeah, presumably the invites invite are in the post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, I'll give, I'll give a little bit about sort of what with with. Um, and so we could both speak on this topic because Rupert and I work together on the management of a group company, but sort of also have sort of swim lanes that we sort of individually work in. And I'm looking, uh, you know, we had a meeting with our team manager yesterday for Veloce Racing on some of our costs for an extreme E team. And, you know, we all know running motorsport teams isn't cheap. So there's element of the capital being in, uh, which will be invested in our extreme E franchise. Um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um and you know hiring in the right places um to, to sort of 
help us maximize growth and the story and everything we're doing. So, you know, from an extreme, from an extremely franchise front, it's just really focused on sort of resource. Um, and then the esports side, which Rupert can dive into, is, is kind of get to be deployed in all sorts of ways of building the media network, et cetera. Yeah, that's it. I mean, on, on, from an esports proposition, you know, the so many of these these, especially the US organizations, you know, they, they run around raising bonkers cash in my eyes off silly valuations. And I don't really think any, anyone has the model correct. Um, and you know, we we really do. We have a you know, we're already a, a revenue generating business and you know, it's um, and proper and serious revenue. You know, and it's pretty. We have a formula. You, you you put X amount in, and you grow by this much, and you get this much out. And it's a it's a pretty straightforward process. And you know, of course, it's based upon ad revenue and and on on us leveling up and, and monetizing and commercializing the vast audience and, and engagement rate we have. But um, really, it's a case of scaling that now and, and really continuing to to, to grow that and. You know, we're we're in conversations with, with everyone from publishers to series to to you know mobile game studios. Um, you know, we we have this one thing that to this point all we've been about is grow, 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 grow. Get the reach, get engagement, get everything, and and now we're closing that loop and, and starting to pull it together. We've been completely under resourced. We're a team of um, pre-lockdown. We're a team team of about twelve full-time employees. We are already post-lockdown at a team of around 20, and we will be 30 um, on the esports business full-time before Christmas. So and we're moving to new premises, and, you know, it's really hard, actually, to, to you know, sort of take the leap of faith to continue such a rate of growth and, and hire new people and take new premises and continue with that sort of ambition and when everything around you appears to be falling apart and people yeah. scaling down and people going in the opposite direction when they're going the other way because we, we really do feel like we're swimming in the opposite direction to everyone else. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, we, we just have to stay focused on what we know is the opportunity and, and what we know we can achieve. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it sounds like the future is incredibly, incredibly bright for you guys. You, you both come from um, motorsport backgrounds, so also interested to get your, your views on a couple of things. Um, for example, Formula One, um, obviously it's, it's a slight departure from what you guys are doing because, you know, you, you head more down the electric route. But what, what does the future look like in your eyes for Formula One? Is it going to become obsolete? We, we were chatting to um, one of our guests the other day who, who explained to us that Formula E essentially have the exclusive rights to um, single-seater electric racing for the next 25 years. So Formula One, can't go down that road so is the is the long-term future of f1 in jeopardy what's your take on it let's let's hear from you rupert first i'd say i think the prestige of formula one is is will never never go you know i mean formula one is formula one at the end of the day and then as much as formula e can 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 be more more relevant to today's automotive sector and and you know fit in whatever and be more relevant it's Formula One, it's Formula One. It's a spectacle that I don't think, and the speed of it, the, everything else. And I think, I don't know, I used the analogy years ago, and I still think it applies. You, you have horse racing, and I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but you've got horse racing. I mean, people used to go to work every day on a horse. It was used a horse for everything, from agriculture to transport for everything. Then it's sort of, it was, the horse wasn't needed in everyday life because of the combustion engine, but people still race horses. People, it's still yeah. an incredible, prestigious, multi billion dollar sport around the world. I think. Mean, Okay, it's a bit of an extreme Formula One, but probably the combustion engine at some point will be become obsolete. But 
I mean, why can't Formula One just be Formula One? And it just sound the best, look the best, be an incredible sounding, looking thing, mm. the best drivers in the world with the best teams putting on the ultimate spectacle. I mean, I don't think it has to be, you know, it's so, it's so limited in terms of manufacturers involved at this point anyway. I don't think it, you know, the, the model has shifted from being, you know, winner, winner race Sunday, Silicon Monday for, for these guys in Formula One. It's now it's about brands, partnerships, whatever that are involved. And I don't know, that's my take on it. But I mean, we, my heart loves Formula One, you know, and, and I don't think you can ever not, um, yeah, that's my day. It, yeah. it exists. It can't lose its spectacle. Dan, what do you think? I mean, I had a, I had a quite an interesting conversation last year at the Austin Grand Prix at the um, Philip Morris party. I was a bit smug. With, with my agency, we, we'd done a deal for Sotheby's to be partner of Formula One. So I had a couple of conversations with Chase, sort of thing I was getting on the inside line there. And I, uh, I was at the Philip Morris party, said to him, well, you know, separate to the Sotheby's stuff, we just bought a franchise in Extreme E. And he was like, oh, is that Alejandro's new thing? <laughs> and, um, and we were like, yes, it's Alejandro's new thing, which we hope will be quite a successful thing. But uh, I said, you know, he said, the, the electrification side is great. And I sort of, um, and the reason I'm bringing this up, so I'm in line with sort of his thinking, which is the electrification side is brilliant. There's a big market for it. It's great for manufacturers. Um, and the environmental aspects of Extreme E from our side, you know, we feel very fond of it from, it makes your heart feel a bit warm that you're trying to do something good whilst also being a great business move, we feel. But Formula One's challenge is about creating technology which can move billions of people around the world, not just electric engines and not just on an electrification front. And I think combustion engines will evolve for hyper-efficient fuel, you know, could be agricultural-based fuel, whatever. And I think... Formula One not being able to get kind of a license to race purely electric engines, I don't see it as being too harmful for it. I think more the carbon footprint it has in what it does around the world, if they can address that, will make it more viable. But um, as Rupert said, it's not, you know, it's a bit like boxing. People watch boxing, even if they know it might not be completely the right thing to do to watch someone get punched in the face. And even if you would disagree with carbon footprint of F1 or anything that's around it is still a very compelling watch because of the speeds and everything associated. And I think if it retains that uh, identity, it will it will always exist. It's maybe less as a manufacturer's playground as it used to be, as Rupert kind of alluded to. So, but, you know, um, I think the bigger thing, the bigger gap to fill was some of the other series, which were just constantly being launched around the world. And there was, there was a new global touring car series, and then there was a new electric touring car series, and there's a new electric rallycross I don't think there's enough demand for people to, to, to watch all those and this, the market became quite saturated. And I think Formula One, Formula E, Extreme E can sort of coexist in a successful world where they offer a different enough product for everyone to be happy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that was one of the points I was going to come on to. You know, we're, we're seeing the rise of esports, whether it's Extreme E, Formula E, it's Moto E, there's a, a electric uh, rallying, as you say. There's uh, karting, which Rob Smedley is, is introducing, electric karting series for kids. Uh, there's even an e-scooter uh, championship coming online yeah. soon. So is there space for more? And is there an opportunity here for Veloce from a, a rights holder perspective to, to uh, pioneer a new form of racing that, that you can control? I mean, if there's any investors out there who want to back us to build a whole new one, to build a whole new series, we're, we're at all ears. But um, I think I think we as a brand, you know, we don't just want to be seen as you know forever just as an esports business, as an extreme e business. You know, we'll go forward trying to innovate and disrupt the areas of the industry that we feel 
we can. And that's at the moment in electrification, in esports, and I would say equality as well with, with um, the work specifically Rupert's doing with helping build Jamie Chavik's career. Um, and as that, and, you know, helping kind of drive that side of the industry. And I think we'll see in the future trends going and going further. And, you know, if our, our investors who we've currently got are in the future, back us of what we're doing so far. And we sort of say, look, there's a new trend coming along and we, we think we can pioneer it. I think as and when we see that, we'll probably try and move into it. In the short term, just massively focused on trying to make sure we get our extreme entry right. Because if we took on another project right now, even if we did increase resources, I think we'd probably have a few too many things to juggle. Yeah, yeah there's spinning plates and then there's that. But I mean, it's no mean feat what you'd be able to achieve at all. But have you ever fallen out? Have you ever had arguments? You know, starting starting a business from scratch is always difficult. Of course it is. But there must have been some tough times along the way. I want I want um, the juice. I'm digging for juicy gossip, basically. <laughs> I threw a glass of uh, wine completely in a moment of excitement over Dan on Monday night. And I've never seen anger like it in his eyes. <laughs> and he it, swears he wasn't angry. He's like, I wasn't, but he was. He was definitely it, was. Was it red but, wine or white wine? Red. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I can understand the anger. I mean, he's wearing a very nicely tailored shirt. I'm not, I'm not surprised he was he was hacked off. We get red wine all over this gear, can we? Yeah, we've fallen out. I mean, to be honest, Jack, me and Jack, I mean, cry, I can't swear, but uh, we, we, can. we had some big arguments, but um, nothing that we, you we've ever uh, can't get over. You know, it's, mm. it's, all, it's all, all, all fair enough and more. You know, we sort of, we we end of the day, we want the best for the company, and we all share our ambitions that, you know, we all share the ambition that Veloce wants to be in and, we, you know, the vision is shared between us all and we're actually very complimentary to, to, to each other. You know, Jack is genius. Uh, it comes up the ideas and the vision for us. You know, Dan is the most, by far the most litigious of us all. You know, he keeps all of us on the straight and narrow and, um, you know, Jamie is really the esports knowledge and understanding. He's got a sixth sense of what works and what doesn't in the esports space and, um, I don't really know what, what my role is, but... Um. Rupert is, is one of, if not the best deal makers you've ever come along and meet, so he's our, uh, he's our Bernie on, in, that, in that front. So That's we've got a, He's right, we've got a nice management team which complement each other really well. But, you know, we have discussions around big decisions we need to make, and at times we don't agree, but we're all, we've all known each other for long enough. I mean, the fact that one of the co-founders is my brother means that, in short, yes, I've had big arguments with him, but it's really... They rarely come across into this, but with, uh, with Rupert, myself, Jamie, Jack, you know, if there's a big decision to be made. We'll talk it through. Some of us might be voice our opinions, but never has there been a uh, kind of like right, it's done. We disagreed. We ended up agreeing. You know, let's go. Let's go from yeah. here after, and then we're all back mm-hmm. on track. Now, there's um, there's three questions which we always ask our uh, our guests, um, and they come with a varying degree of um, of answer. Um, some are very very deep, some are very quick and simple. So we'll, we'll fire three questions at you. I think we'll we'll split it up because we've got two of you here. So I think we'll we'll fire the first one at Rupert, um, and I'll kick off Harry if that's all right. Um, Rupert, what's got you excited at the moment? Well, that's a tough one. What's got me excited at the moment? Um, quite excited by I really am very excited very interested in, in, in SpaceX I mean I know it sounds a bit cliche like is it like is that going to be a thing are we going to be start, going to start to be able to go to space and and, and, and how can Veloce get a franchise in that <laughs> yeah <laughs> franchise in that that's a big investment but that's it I mean that's what's got me excited I'd say yeah um, yeah, that's uh, and, and and one other thing, and I don't know. This this really does think that I sound cliche and I'm preaching to the choir. Is 
quite excited to the next the next step for us. I really think it's got to be like some sort of advanced engineering, advanced te- technologies division, or something like that, because we've got a real we have such an eye on on what's next and what's coming next. And if you look at motorsport as a or the industry as a, as a whole right now, where are the three opportunities? Women in the sport, Jenny Chadwick, she's the best in the world. Esports with the biggest and you know the, the most viewed esport racing sports viewership network in the world, and now. Electric motorsport. We missed the boat on extreme on, on formerly, but we've obviously got got our hand in with extremely. And I think the next one, I think, it's got to be like we said, hydrogen technology. I mean, it has to be off-grid charging solutions in the long term. You know, you can't. The national grid would go. We know it would switch off tomorrow if everyone had an electric car. We just can't service it. So yeah. it needs to be some sort of off-grid solution to, to charge electric cars. What's that going to be? What's that technology going to look like? Yeah, anyway, that's, yeah that's exciting. Dan, question to you. Yeah. If not doing what you are currently doing now, was there another path? Would you have stayed in that office job in London? No, I mean, it was actually the, the, the groundbreaking decision came when I was about 18. And I, uh, my dad took me, I had a test at Palmer Sport and there were, uh, my dad was teammates with Jonathan Palmer. So I had a specific day where I was set up in different cars and, um, I was I was quick, um, you know. I was the fastest rookie ever in certain cars, and my brother was in Formula Two at the time. And I was I was you know he set a couple of laps, and my data and I'm not blowing smoke up my ass. My dad says it's the best first test he's ever seen. So I had this real like, and it was like, look, if you want to race, we'll I'll you know we don't have much money, but I'll put you in touch with some people and we can give it a crack. And uh, at that point, I'd already got into university, and my mum was like one racing son, like. I, it's it comes down to you if you want to race or not but I had there was a month or so where I was really on the fence and it was keeping me up at night so I reckon if my career hadn't gone down a quite educational route which then led me back into motorsport through business after mm. I cut my teeth in other areas that fundamental moment if I'd made the other decision I would have at least given being a racing driver a go full on crack and uh, I would have seen how well it would have gone but I probably um, you know if I hadn't ended up yeah, being a, actually succeeding as a racing driver, maybe gone down a similar route to how um, to where Rupert and Jack did, where I ended up, you know, managing whatever it was. But that was the pivotal moment as to as to where I could have ended up being doing something else instead of sitting in meeting rooms. I could have been sitting in cockpits instead. But yeah. I'm pretty happy with how it did. And the plan is we make a lot of money with Veloce. We can sort of compete in a GT series on the side for a bit of fun to race for fun. Nice. Better to race for necessity. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think um, it worked out all right. Hat tip to uh, Palmer Sports as well there, because uh, I, I count Palmer Sports outside of having my three children and getting married. My day at Palmer Sports near Bedford um, was single-handedly the best day of my life. I've, I've yeah. never done anything like that. In my, it, Can you send uh, Jonathan Palmer an invoice, a bit of emotion yeah. see how well that goes now. yes yeah. please yeah yeah it's it's already uh, on email heading to his inbox as we speak but uh, but no it was so cool i mean we we drove everything and um it, it, truly a, a number as someone who doesn't get to drive fast cars very often um you know to experience the single seater and all the other cars they've got is, is amazing but anyway i i digress um it's run, it's run so well it's brilliant and you and the coaches you get there are often um you know we had one guy who was going into the British touring cars the following year. You know, they're, they're high-class um, instructors. Um, okay, final question. One, for We'll put, put, position this to both of you. Um, we'll come to you first, um, Dan. Um, what are you scared of? Heights. Yeah, Ooh. solid. 
Heights and a personal front, failure from a professional front. So is that heights as in aeroplane heights or those sort of heights oh. where you can see the ground and it's like, I yeah, can jump heights off where you're that. near the edge of something. I can't, you know, I can't stand it. My, mm. my brother's got young kids and when we go to Mountain Uncles, they've got a balcony and so quite high up in London. He's holding them. I'm like, I'm inside the glass. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Get away from there. It's so yeah, heights and a day-to-day thing are what really, really don't really sit too well with me. But the planes are fine because I'm not looking yeah, down yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Rupert, how about you? Snakes. It's the way they move. They can't trust them. Yeah, no, you can't trust. You cannot. Yeah. You cannot no. trust a snake. You're right. I'm, no, I'm, you just never know. Out of nowhere. Told you that. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and then from to the same as Danrin on the business side, like you know, it's a fear of not not executing on what we know is such an opportunity, I suppose. That, yeah. But I wake up in a cold sweat sometimes. Yeah. What I mean, we can do it, you know, what if we don't do this? Like, we have to do this. Yeah, well, and, and, and there are pressures, you know, it's a successful company, but there are pressures that come with that. You know, you've got big big time investors, you've got, you know, boards to, to keep happy and, and yourselves to drive on to success. And that that fear, I suppose, will, will keep you going. Um, so um, listen, we, we wish you both um, and the rest of your team um, huge success in the future. We look forward to seeing you in Extreme E um, for their their first season. That should be loads of fun. And um, we must do more. So look, keep in touch. Um, Rupert, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and on Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV create your own social profile and interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast where's that dust coming from Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.